0: This is the Change the Map podcast, where we inspire, educate, and resource you to transform the Buddhist world through prayer and action. Join us as we explore the mystical world of Buddhism, discover its unique challenges, meet Buddhist background followers of Jesus, and engage in strategic prayer to change the spiritual map of the Buddhist world. This month, we're joined by Pierce. Pierce is a longtime global worker serving in the Buddhist world. On this month's episode, Pierce shares his journey into missions and how God is opening doors into one of the most remote and unreached countries on earth. Welcome to the Change the Map podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and this is a podcast for pastors, missions pastors, leaders, and people that want to get more involved in the Great Commission. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, Uh, go ahead and like and subscribe if you're watching on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to the audio version, uh, subscribe, and that will just ensure that you get all of our new content as it comes out. Today, we're excited to have Pierce with us. Pierce is a global worker living and serving with his family in Southern Asia. And so, Pierce, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Welcome to Bangkok. Thanks. It's good to be here. (laughs) So Pierce, it's good to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family?
1: Yep. So my wife Megan and I, uh, we have been serving in the Buddhist world uh, for about nine or ten years now. Uh, we have two sons, Elliot and Summit. They are seven and six. They were both born on the field, and uh, yeah. So where are you from in the states? So I grew up in Georgia.
0: Okay. So how did you get from Georgia to Southeast Asia? You know, what was your journey like from from there to here? Because. The cultures, nothing about those two places are, are alike. Yeah, so my
1: journey's <laughs> been interesting. Um, I actually grew up in a home where my parents were not Christians. They were not believers. Um, I grew up in this really small town in Dalton, Georgia. We were really poor. We didn't have a lot. Um, and I remember when I was three or four years old, my parents got divorced. Uh, my dad moved out. He lived a couple miles down the road from where we grew up. But I would go years of my life without seeing him, just never really had that relationship with my father. Um, I don't ever remember a time in my life where my dad hugged me or even said that he loved me. Uh, And my mom, on the other hand, she uh, faced addiction to alcohol and drugs. And so my childhood was just filled with chaos. And uh, I remember when I was 15 years old, I came home from a trip with some friends and I come to my house and my house was empty. And after a few days, the power got shut off, the utilities, the water, everything. My sister came and told me that my mom and stepfather at the time had got arrested for drug possession. They posted bail, and they fled the state. And I didn't see my mom for about a year after that. And so I've been living on my own since I was about 15, 16 years old. Uh, But I always say that my mom did one thing right. There was this little Baptist church in our town that had a bus ministry and every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night, uh, that, that bus would come through our trailer park and my mom would force me onto that bus so that she could have a free babysitter. And it was that church that changed my life. It wow. was the men and women of God in that church, uh, that just completely changed me because they showed me the love of a father and a mother that I had never had before. Wow, that's Um, and so I was about 15, 16 years old. And there was this family out of a Pentecostal background that started coming to our small little Baptist church. And they started talking about two things that I'd never heard before, missions and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so when I was 15, they're like, "Okay, you pick anywhere you want to go in the world on a mission trip. We're going to pay for it and we're going to send you there. And I'm like, this is awesome. So I did what any other 15, 16 year old kid would do. I signed up to go to Australia for a month, right? (laughs) But had the best time. But it was on that trip that um, I, I, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I felt God call me into missions, and that he said, this is what you're going to do the rest of your life. So I went back. Uh, a few years later, I moved to Michigan, married, uh, met my wife Megan, uh, started going to a great church there, uh, ended up getting uh, married to her, and three months after we were married, we signed up to go into missions. Wow. Uh, we started our journey in Latin America, Because at that time, we had never heard of unreached people groups, Buddhist peoples. Uh, We had done a short-term trip together to uh, Latin America. Okay. And so right after we got married, we're like, well, let's just go back to Latin America because it was kind of all we ever knew. Sure. So we go to Latin America, had a great experience, but we just felt like there was something missing. We felt like... Uh, We wanted to be more on the frontier, the pioneer side of church planting. And so I picked up a a book, Apostolic Function by Alan Johnson, Mm -hmm. and I just started reading the book, and I'll get the numbers wrong, but I came across a a stat in the book and it started talking about for every 1 million Christians or 1 million believers in a country, I think there was 189 missionaries there working with them. But then it compared it to every 1 million Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu, and the stat showed that only four missionaries mm. were working in those countries. Um, and so when we saw that stat, God just really started to, to change our hearts. And so we actually ended up transitioning over to Thailand uh, in 2013, 2014, and that's how we kind of ended up in the Buddhist world.
0: Okay, awesome. And so you spent some time here in Thailand. Yep. You got your feet wet in the Buddhist world, but but you're not here in Thailand anymore. So what what, what were those steps to this this place that God has, has put on your heart now?
1: Yeah, so in 2014, we came. I, I spent the first year learning Thai language. We started doing campus ministry, working with local churches, uh, started doing house uh, like Bible studies out of our home. Um, our first son was actually born in Thailand. So this was like, this was home for us. Yeah. And for six years we served here and it was like, this is where we knew, or we just felt like we were never going to leave Thailand. Like yeah. we were loving the ministry uh, as our understanding of the Buddhist world grew. So did our love uh, for Thailand. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I got invited on this trip to go to the Maldives uh, by another missionary. And he brought some missionaries there as well as some pastors from the States. And every night he kept talking how are you going to attach yourselves to the Maldives? Like, what are you going to do to reach the Maldives? Mm-hmm. And every night I'd go to bed and I'm like, nothing. Like <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I want to work with Buddhists. Like yeah. no offense. I'm not called to work with, with, with people out of the Islamic or Muslim background. Yeah. But every day he kept presenting us with that challenge. And by the like day five, I'm just feeling convicted and guilty because mm-hmm. I'm in the Maldives. It's a beautiful place with a great need. Yeah. But I was just like, God, why, why am I here? Yeah. Um, and about day six or seven, uh, he, he God started to reveal why I was on that trip. Uh, while I was there, there was another family who had been serving in the country of Bhutan wow. um, at that time. Uh, and they started talking about Bhutan. And Bhutan was a country I'd never really heard of before, mm-hmm. and very little was known about it. We find out they, at that time they were charging $250 a day for your visa into the country. You had to have a sh- government chaperone tour guide with you. Wow. And they just started talking about the needs of Bhutan and how difficult it was uh, to enter, not only from a government standpoint, but geographically as well. It sits at the, it's the highest elevated country in the world. Wow. There's only, at that time, there were nine pilots who were registered to fly into it. They only had one international airport. And it's listed as one of the most dangerous airports in the world because of the way they got to bank around the mountains and land. Yeah. And as they start talking about this country, I just felt like God was moving in my heart. Um, and so they asked if I would go to Bhutan with the idea of like, we want to bring out more pastors and do some vision trips to try to build awareness for the need of Bhutan. Yeah. And again, it was that same concept, like, you're buying, I'll go, right? Because yeah, sure, I could to afford sure. 150 dollars a day. Yeah, yeah. So I end up going to Bhutan um, a few months later. And just really felt like, man, God put Bhutan in our heart. But at the same time, we still felt a love for the Thailand and the Thai people and what was going on here. And so we kind of wrestled with that for about a year and a half uh, of traveling in and out of Bhutan, taking some pastors, taking other co-workers with us. Um, And we were always like, okay, we want to be a part of the church planning efforts in Bhutan. But we still really love the ministry and what's happening here in Thailand. So in the fall of 2019, um, I was on the trip and our world missions director was with us. And we were talking about the needs of, and it was actually a change the map vision trip. We were talking about the need of working together with all the different teams and missionaries working uh, in a Buddhist context. Mm -hmm. And so he's on this vision trip, seeing the needs of Thailand, Nepal, and Bhutan. And at that time, that family that we had met a year earlier had been kicked out of Bhutan. And so they were no longer allowed in there. So no one in our organization was going into Bhutan anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he asked if we, my family and I wanted to go to Bhutan for one month to try to do some cultural research to see what it would like to put a family in there, but also to possibly establish a church planning team and find creative access ways to enter Bhutan, um, And so my wife and I prayed about it, and again, it was a free trip, so we went. It was $25,000 for us to go for one month, but we really believed that the financial costs were worth it because the church must be planted in Bhutan. So when my wife and I and our two kids, we went to Bhutan, we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't have any relationships, but every day before we left our little apartment, we held hands as a family of four, And we would just pray, God, we have no idea what we're doing, but we know that you're in control and we trust you. Mm. And over the next four weeks, God started to unfold these different connections and conversations that we started to have that we were able to put together a strategy for how to put an effective church planning team in the kingdom of Bhutan. Wow! But at that time, we still were like, this is going to be great for another family, right? This is going to be great for another team. Uh, But towards the end of the trip, uh, so, Bhutan, you have to have a government chaperone tour guide with you when you travel. And why is that? They just, they keep a tight control over the country. They really don't want outsiders. They don't want Christian influence. Mm. Uh, in fact, in 2019, we were there. They only allow 38 foreigners to live in the country year round. Wow. They really limit their number of tourists that are coming in. And in fact, they didn't allow their first foreigner to visit until 1978. Mm. Um, and it's just been really difficult because they do not want to lose their their deeply Tibetan uh, Buddhist uh, cultural values. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so as we're walking around with our tour guide who we gotten to know over the course of the month, uh, we walk into this one temple and I had lived in the Buddhist world for a long time. Mm-hmm. I knew all the major idols and the deities and stuff. Uh, but we walk into this temple and right in the middle of the room was a 20 foot, uh, tall idol. And it was a deity that I'd never seen before. And I looked at my tour guide Namge and I go, Namge, I've, I've never seen this idol before. Who is he? Mm-hmm. And Namge looks at me. He's like, I don't know. I've never <laughs> seen it before either, right? Uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, but what I thought was interesting is I then watch Namge go up to the foot of the, the idol, and he begins to prostrate before it, and he begins to do the three uh, circumventions. Mm.
0: Circumambulations. <laughs> yes, okay. Just walk around it three and, times. <laughs> and he
1: begins to walk around the temple prostrating every third step. Yeah. And then he goes and he starts ringing the bells, he lights the incense, and one of the last things he does is he walks up to the foot of the idol, and he n- kneels before it, and he pulls out his wallet, and he leaves an offering, and he, and he starts to pray. So on the way out of the, the temple, I asked Namge, I go, Namge, if you have no idea who this idol is, why do you pray to him? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget what he said. He looks at me and he goes, I don't know. It was the only thing that I was ever taught to do. Mm-hmm. But I go, but Namge, you have no idea who this is. How do you even know what to pray for? And again, he, or he, he goes, well, I always pray for three things. I pray for wealth and fame for myself and my family. I pray that my family and I will be healthy. And the third thing I pray for is that all the animals will come back as humans. But again, I go, Namgay. why do you pray those three things specifically? And again, he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. It was the only thing I was ever taught to do. Hmm. And it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And I realized the answer to the questions that I was asking Namgay. I know why he goes to that idol. I know why he prays those three things. I know why he bows before these statues because no one has ever told him about Jesus Christ, because yeah. there's limited access to the gospel. Churches are illegal. Christians are persecuted in the kingdom of Bhutan. And so Bhutan, or Namgay, his family, and so many more have never heard the name of Jesus because mm-hmm. they don't have access to the gospel. Yeah. And it was that moment that God started to shift our hearts where we knew that we we needed to go to Bhutan.
0: Wow, yeah. It, it, God hasn't forgotten about those people. It's, yeah. we've, we've forgotten about those people. Yeah. It's just taken... Too long. Yes. For us to go and and tell. it's been
1: a country that's been isolated and tucked away in the Himalayan mountains for centuries, and it's so easy to ignore. But I believe that now is a time where God is building people to go into Bhutan and to lead effective Christian mission work.
0: Awesome. Well, tell us about some of the struggles that um, Christians have in Bhutan. I think a lot of people, maybe this is the first time, you know, if you're listening or watching this video at home, this may be the first time you're hearing about Bhutan. What are some of the things that you'd say, man, people need to know that this is going on in Bhutan?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest struggles um, is you you have almost two major ethnic groups in the kingdom of Bhutan. You have the 90% ethnic Zonka, or ethnic Bhutanese people groups, and then kind of on the southern border, you have what are the ethnic Nepalis. Um, there's a large Christian movement happening amongst the ethnic Nepali um, uh, people groups, but most of that is done in the Nepali language. Mm. There's not a lot of people that are specifically working with the ethnic Bhutanese, and a lot of that has to do with some of the persecution in the country. is the king is the protector of all religions. And there's a lot more forgiveness and grace if you're ethnic Nepali that you can have church services, you can evangelize to other Nepalese, but you have to do it in Nepali language. Okay. But from our understanding and the research that we've been trying to conduct over the last couple of years is there's not a lot of churches going on amongst the ethnic Bhutanese. There's some little crossover works happening here and there, and God is starting to open doors and do things. But I was there uh, last month, and from our best estimates, we see less than 500 believers amongst the 90% ethnic Bhutanese. Mm. Um, And I remember my first trip into Bhutan, I got to meet a pastor, um, and he was featured in a lot of like uh, Voice of the Martyrs and um, Christianity Today as the first Bhutanese pastor uh, that was actually arrested, publicly arrested and prosecuted for preaching the gospel in Bhutan. And I remember sitting in his home talking to him, and he begins to tell me the story of how he was caught with all of this Christian literature, and they put him in this prison cell that he had to share with multiple other people. And um, and he knew that he was going to be in that prison cell a while. So at around day eight or nine, he asked the prison guard, he goes, is there any way that I could have my Bible back to read while I'm in prison? Mm. And for some reason, the guard gave him his Bible. And in that moment, he felt the Holy Spirit told him, you need to study the book of Acts and the book of Job. And so for the next two years, he begins to study these two books over and over. And what he didn't realize is that he told me that he went to trial 19 different times, wow. all for preaching the gospel in the kingdom of Bhutan. But on all nineteen uh, trials, he was acquitted. He was let go because he would argue the same arguments that he that Job used amongst his friends, and the same oh, arguments wow. that Paul used in the <laughs> Book of Romans. Wow. And he pulls out his Bible and he begins to open it and shows me all the notes that he had written during his time in that prison. Wow. So there is still heavily uh, there's still heavy persecution happening in Bhutan. It may not be as public, but there is some concern and some fear for local believers, and so there are some underground church networks happening. But the idea of publicly evangelizing or publicly holding services. Um, is not taken kindly upon by the government. Mm. So another thing that we're facing is actually to enter the country is quite difficult. So right now, post-COVID, they had a zero COVID policy for the last three years where they weren't allowing any foreigners in. But about two months ago, they opened up for the first time since COVID. But they've now almost doubled that daily fee where now it's almost $400 a day just to enter the country. Trying to make up for lost time. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying to make up. (laughs) But uh, financially, that makes it difficult for our team that's trying to go in on these short trips, like for A four-night trip now is almost $4,000 when you include the flights. Um, yeah. And everything to enter the for country, four nights for four nights into yeah. the country. Now it does cover like your your meals, your transportation, and five your, star hotel, not a five you star Michelin star restaurant. But it, kind of it, they've made it difficult because they want to limit the influence that foreigners are bringing into their country, and mm-hmm. so they still keep tight control on who's allowed to enter and who is not allowed to enter. So our team right now is we are trying to establish a business to find creative access into this country so that we don't have to pay the daily fees. But sure. hopefully through our business platform we can build um, a house church, a series of house churches and a network of an underground church. Awesome. So another thing is like during that month that we were in Bhutan, um, I started researching and reading all of the history that I could find on the kingdom of Bhutan. And the earliest known document about the kingdom of Bhutan is from the the mid-1600s, uh, where there were two Jesuit priests that actually traveled all the way from Portugal, and they were, they were trying to get to Tibet. And after three or four years of traveling, they actually come into the kingdom of Bhutan, but they'd never heard of it before. They didn't mm-hmm. know the name. They just started to learn about it. And as soon as they came into the kingdom, they were immediately robbed uh, by these I don't know what you'd call Bandits? Them. Yeah, bandits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it is. They were immediately robbed by these bandits, uh-huh. and the king of Bhutan at the time finds out about these foreigners that were coming in and how they were robbed. So he calls them to come to his palace, and he ends up finding the bayonets who had robbed them, and he gave back the, all the belongings to the Jesuit priest. Mm-hmm. And so he starts getting to know the Jesuit priest, and they start developing conversations where they start telling him about Jesus, and they start like, you know, telling about their, their gospel mission and all the things that they're doing. And the king was so receptive. His name was Shabdrung, and this document's actually sitting in a museum in Europe somewhere. And the king was so receptive of their message that he actually dedicated a tiny portion of his house to an altar where they were able to hold like services. Wow. And then over the course of the next several months, the king forced two of the Buddhist lamas to convert to Christianity. Really? And he went and he he, he told them like, you need to go with the missionaries and start preaching. Mm. And so all the missionary, the, the two Jesuit priests, they started traveling around, they started preaching, and they started to construct a church. But the two missionaries were just, they were dead set on going to Tibet, mm. that the king was begging them to stay but they just kept saying, no, we, we're going to Tibet because there's a mission home there. And so after about a year in the country, they ended up leaving Bhutan. And that is the earliest Christian presence that wow. we have in the kingdom of Bhutan. But these two Jesuit priests felt they were, their call was to Tibet. And so they ended up leaving, and everything that was started eventually fizzled out and died. Mm-hmm. And they go to Tibet, where I think they died within a couple years after reaching there. Wow. But I say that story because, and I'm not going to question their calling or anything like that, only they know what God, God called them to do. But what would have happened if they would have stayed in Bhutan? Yeah, with that would open Bhutan, door. Yeah. They were given full access to preach. I mean, they were, the king yeah. was making lamas, monks, yeah. convert to Christianity yeah. to continue the teaching. And I just kept thinking, what would have happened if they would have stayed? Yeah. because since that time the door has been closed to Bhutan for 400 years mm-hmm. but we are we are believing that God is opening the door between the local believers right now and hopefully access for more missionaries to come into the country we're believing that the time for Bhutan is now
0: yeah well i think that's a good way to to kind of close in in prayer with the question what what would have would have happened what could happen yeah. if we if we see God open doors you know do it again lord you know yeah. if god can do it with that guy he can do it with with yeah. the new government Um, That's here now. And so what are a few things that we can be praying for uh, over the next this next month? Um, How can we be praying for Bhutan? Because I I do want us to ask ourselves that question, you know, what could happen if, if we see God move the way he did? In the
1: 1600s. Yeah, I think a few things for me is like, pray for access for workers. It's incredibly difficult to enter, but pray that God provides supernatural access and visa platforms for more workers to minister in the kingdom of Bhutan. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would pray for is persecuted believers. They face trials and obstacles that many of us have never met before. Yeah. Um, and we just pray that God is with them and gives them peace and strength during this time. And the last thing is sometimes we believe that, you know, missionaries are the only answer <laughs> yeah. to these problems, right? Yeah. But, hey, if the doors are going to remain closed, then we pray for the local believers in that country. We pray that they have boldness and that they're equipped to preach the gospel without fear um, and just that they would be sold out 100%.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Pierce, thanks for coming. We're excited about what God is doing in your family. Thanks, guys, And our challenged, you know, with this, with this place that has seemingly been forgotten for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. And so um, if you can just close us in prayer um, and we'll be, we'll be praying for Bhutan.
1: Yeah. God, we just, uh, we lift up the kingdom of Bhutan to you, God. Lord, we know that the doors to enter are difficult, but God, we know that you are the God of supernatural and that you can open those doors, the doors that no one else can open. We know that you are able to open So I pray for workers from all over the world to be able to get access into Bhutan. And God, I pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing trials and persecutions right now. God, I know Bhutan is listed as one of the most top 40 dangerous countries in the world for believers. God, I pray that you would be with them right now. God, I pray that you would give them peace. God, I pray that you would give them strength. And God, I pray that you would encourage them to preach the good news of Jesus without fear. God, I pray that you would give them boldness, God, that a revival would break out in Bhutan, God, and that a movement of churches would just be established so that every man, woman, and child will have an opportunity to hear about the great name of Jesus so that you can be glorified amongst the nation of Bhutan. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank
0: you for listening to the Change the Map podcast. For more information, visit www.changethemap.net.